Gas prices have reached astronomical levels and things are so bad that now Uber has decided to add a fuel surcharge. Uber, the Uber company, is adding a gas surcharge. So they're going to be charging customers an additional fee to pay for gas. They should call it the Biden fee. Thanks to President Biden, Uber has now added a fuel surcharge. The Biden surcharge and President Biden has caused Dollar Tree to become Dollar 25 Tree. Pop the champagne. Now Uber is adding a special Biden surcharge. I mean, uh, here, here, that's an extra $20, sir, to pay for your Biden fee. Meanwhile, Biden and the White House keep blaming Putin and blaming greedy oil. Why are gas prices so high? Well, it's Putin's fault, and it's the fault of greedy oil companies. And is anybody buying that nonsense? Gas prices were way up 10 months before Putin ever invaded Ukraine. Oil companies mysteriously were not greedy under Trump. They only got greedy under Biden. And oh, by the way, Biden's policies have been anti-oil. Biden has done everything he could to crush oil companies, oil drilling, to crush natural gas. He pledged to ban oil drilling on federal property even before he became president. All right, so New York State has legalized marijuana. And guess who is going? By the way, coming up, I'll give you my analysis of the new proposal by New York State that would force yeshivas to teach more secular studies. Uh, The New York State Education Department has put out this new proposal of secular education requirements. So we're going to dive into all of that. But New York State recently legalized marijuana. Guess who's going to get the first round of permits to sell legal marijuana? Convicted felons. You can't. I mean, if I told you it was fiction, you would tell me it's absurd. Convicted felons, convicted drug dealers specifically are going to get first dibs on permits to sell drugs legally in New York State. I I can't believe I I read this and my jaw drops. And is it really true? Governor Kathy Hochul, she is granting the first round of permits to sell marijuana to convict in New York State to convicted drug dealers who are in prison. I mean, in New York State, if you were a criminal, you get the royal treatment. What is your reward for breaking the law and for selling drugs to children? And who knows marijuana? Who knows what other drugs you sold? Well, you now are going to be issued one of the first permits. And these are very valuable permits, obviously, to sell marijuana. Hochul says that the criminals are the actual victims in the war on drugs. They are the victims. So now we need to compensate them. We'll get into that coming up. All right, we told you about the new COVID rules in New York City, where nobody in New York City needs to wear a mask except for children age five and under. Here is a children age five and under and nobody else. You're 97 years old. You're not vaccinated. You don't need to wear a mask. But this little poor little kid, four, three year old kid, four year old kid on a on a New York City bus is going to have to wear a mask. And here is a clip of Eric Adams, the mayor, trying to defend the absurd rules. Listen to this. If you were talking to a four-year-old and they're trying to explain why they have to keep their mask on, but their their six-year-old brother doesn't, what what is your your explanation to that four-year-old? I'm so happy you said that because when I was in Rockaway in the St. Pat's Day Parade, I did just that. A group of parents brought me and talked to their children and explained uh, to them. I told them, you're going to be taking off your mask like your big brothers and sisters are doing now. You know, when when you have big brothers and sisters, sometimes they do things first to make sure it's safe for you. And those children, they understand it because they trust their parents and they trust their leadership. They're not tainted like adults. (laughs) You know, they still 
still feel uh, that we have to make the right decisions for them. And I'm with the parents. I want those masks off. I said it in January, but I have to do it right to make sure our city uh, protects its children and don't close down the city again. I mean, he's trying to. I spoke to the four year old. I explained to the four year old that what Adams is saying there makes absolutely no sense. We need the sick. You need you to test out for the six year old. I mean, what is he talking about? I mean, wouldn't we have more respect for him if he just said, you know what? This is the dumbest rule I've ever seen. This is not science. This is Democrats abusing science to fill their sick agenda of making little children wear masks and try, you know, laughing at them and, 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 and probably traumatizing them. And you know what? I'm going to get rid of this absurd rule from now on. Wouldn't we like gain a ton of respect for the man instead of actually trying to defend the indefensible? All right. I mean, don't you miss Trump? How can anybody tell me that you do not miss Trump right now with the world coming apart at the seams? Anybody, any of you out there who actually supported Biden and who were telling me, oh, no, Biden's going to be better. Don't you see how bad Trump is? He's so divisive. And look at his nasty tweets. And he's so mean and he's and, and he's so bad for the country. Please somehow defend your decision. I mean, please somehow right now with Biden being a complete failure. Please explain to me how you actually were correct to support Biden. You don't regret voting for Biden. I mean, well, there's no more nasty tweets. Look at Biden's tweets. They're so gentle. All right. So let's get into the new state regulations being proposed that would force yeshivas to teach more secular subjects. Look, it would technically force all private schools. It would technically crack down on all private schools, but they're clearly targeting yeshivas. And uh, it seems that most of these rules would would exclusively apply to yeshivas and would not apply to, let's say, Catholic schools or to other private schools in New York State. So first, what is this not? In this proposal, there are no specific minimum number of hours that would be required to teach secular subjects. So that's unlike last time. One big difference between, and this proposal to me looks like a disaster, but one positive part of this proposal, which is different than the last time, is there is no specific number of hours that is being required, you must teach six hours or eight hours or however many hours of secular subjects. However, it, the rules are are very arbitrary and vague right now. So it's really hard to know what they could enforce. And it's it's possible that they would be able to tack things on later, as I'm going to explain. So I, I don't even know if it means very much that they don't have a specific requirement, but I guess that's one positive. So before we jump into the details, here are the thing. Here's the thing. Number one, they're targeting yeshivas. Again, technically, does it apply to all private schools? Maybe. But they are clearly targeting yeshivas, infringing on our First Amendment rights. If this Again, it has to be approved. But if it does, infringing on religious freedom, violating religious freedom, violating the separation of church and state, and they have a vendetta. The State Education Department in New York has a vendetta against yeshivas. We know it. It's no secret. That's where this is coming from. Um, and they may even think that they can get more kids somehow to go to public school this way. I don't know, but that's number one. Number two, the New York public school system is a joke. I mean, there are kids that can barely read and write, probably come out, uh, you know, uh, who, who pr- probably cannot read and write at all. They're pro- they're probably children who literally graduate the New York public school system in eighth grade who cannot read cannot write or are illiterate. Teachers unions, they hijack the system. They lower the bar for everybody. I mean, you have these terrible, terrible teachers in public schools who get lifelong tenure, can never be fired. The regents are a joke and nobody's enforcing anything. There are no standardized testing because the teachers unions will not allow it. They, they put the teachers first and the students second. 
and, uh, and, a, and, and a distant second. So it's like amazing that they're going to crack down the, the, the average yeshiva. The, the education that the, that the children get, without getting into specific whether they know algebra or not, but kids come out with, with so much of a better knowledge and so much of a better critical thinking skills and IQ and abilities and everything else. I mean, there's so many benefits that come from the yeshiva system. The public school system is a joke. So, like, to say that the yeshivas have to prove that they're equivalent to the public school system is just, like, it's it's absurd. And number three... This proposal does not factor in, and I know many people are outraged about this, does not factor in um, Jewish subjects like Gemara, for example, when evaluating the level of education. It's totally arbitrary, but they're not allowing yeshiva subjects, Jewish subjects, they're not allowing Gemara learning to be factored in at all. And this is, by the way, unlike the previous proposal where it was at least factored in. So they're not even like... That's not even entering in into the equation. Well, what are the how much how much do these kids? What kind of skills do these do these students pick up from learning Gemara? Which obviously is huge. The advantages and the benefits of learning Gemara, I mean, are uh, almost immeasurable, and they're not even it's not even a factor. So it's totally arbitrary. You know, history counts, math counts, or social studies, whatever they call it, math. But Gemara does not count. I mean, when is the last time you used algebra in real life? Let's be honest over here. So they just they make up the rules to fit their agenda. Gemara teaches you critical thinking. It teaches communication skills. It raises your IQ. I mean, in North Korea, they, they, they you know how many there's like thousands of people in North Korea who learn Gemara voluntarily. There's nothing that comes even close in public school. So, yeah, you can argue to me that children need a basic education to fit into society. But how do you define a basic education? Math? Math? That's basic education? I mean, uh, but critical thinking skills is not. I mean, uh, critical race theory? Is that basic education? Teaching teaching kids that people get to choose their own gender? And, I mean, how many Haredim actually come out of yeshiva much smarter, much better at business, much better, uh, you know, a lot better skills, a lot better analytical skills, a lot, just, just so many better skills in terms of dealing with the world. All right, maybe they don't have the same, you know, grasp on the English language. Although, how many, how many public school graduates out there who come out of public school, they don't, they, they, they could barely get, string a sentence together. And, uh, you know, they don't even, uh, they, they, they don't even know simple mathematics. And as I said, some of them don't even know how to read. And how many public school kids wish they had a yeshiva education? So, you know, clearly they're trying to punish yeshivas. All right, so here are some of the details. They are giving the yeshivas several options to prove substantial equivalency. They've got, it's got to be substantially equivalent. And that's, been, that's always been the rule, but the question is how to enforce it. So yeshivas and private schools have to prove that they are substantially equivalent to public schools. I mean, it's a joke. These public schools, it's a joke. So what are the what are the options they have? Number one, they can administer regents. If you administer regents, then it seems there's a caveat to this, but it seems that you're automatically going to qualify if you administer regents, a regents diploma, regents test. But obviously that only applies to high school, not elementary schools. Number two, students can take special tests that are approved by the state. Number three, uh, the schools can be accredited. Yeshivas can be accredited, but th- then you need an accrediting agency. And the question is, which accrediting agency? And it has to, that has to be approved by the state. So that, that leaves all, all sorts of um, wiggle room for the state to, to, you know, to make all sorts of rules and all sorts of restrictions in terms of what the accreditation entails. So uh, and think about it in, in terms of the regents option that does not help elementary schools, obviously, if there is an elementary school attached to a high school, then the regents of the high school is going to be enough to exempt the lower grades as well. So that is one benefit, potentially, if you have an elementary school and high school K through 12 and the high school uh, offers regents, then that's actually going to exempt 
the elementary school as well. But again, it doesn't help elementary schools that are not attached to a high school. But here's the problem, is that even the yeshivas that are exempt because the regents are still going to have issues because uh, it seems that if there's one complaint, if, if the state gets one complaint about a yeshiva's curriculum, about a yeshiva's schedule, even despite it, it uh, administering regents, if there's one complaint, then that one complaint can remove the yeshiva's approval based on the regents. And then what happens? Well, who knows? It's not clear from this proposal. Then the state can maybe force the yeshiva to do whatever it wants, and the state makes the rules, or you know, the state can basically close, shut down the yeshiva. So that is that is a, obviously a very, very shaky thing. In addition, as we said, limude kaidish, zero value. Zero value uh, to limude kaidish sub- subjects. So in, in past proposals, which were very, very bad, as we've told you, the education department acknowledged that there is a value to limude kaidish subjects, and there was, they were going to give some credit for it, but now there's zero credit for limude kaidish. So in that sense, this is actually much, much worse than the proposals from several years ago. In addition, the regulations require, this has not been reported too much, the regulations require yeshivas and private schools to teach a huge list of subjects that were not mentioned in the press release. They issued a press release, they only mentioned four subjects, history, you know, social studies, math, English, and science. But now here's a list directly from the proposal of additional subjects that they're going to require. Patriotism and citizenship, history, significance, meaning and effect of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution of the State of New York. By the way, the Constitution of the State of New York is a disaster right now. If you look at the governor, government of the, the New York State government giving out uh, permits to sell marijuana to criminals, um, to drug dealers. New York State history and civics, physical education, health education, regarding alcohol, drugs, and tobacco abuse, highway safety and traffic regulation, fire and arson prevention, injury prevention, life-saving education. So this could be a total disaster. There is one another point to consider here, which is that the state is getting smarter. You know, instead of laying out all the guidelines and all the restrictions uh, now, they're leaving it open-ended. So the restrictions are only the beginning. The department, the education department essentially said that it's going to leave out a lot of details and clarify them later. So what they want to first do is get the right to inspect yeshivas, get the right to basically shut down yeshivas, yeshivas if they don't comply without exactly defining the compliance regulations. And then once they have the power, then they could basically use whatever criteria they want to say that the yeshiva doesn't qualify. So this is really terrifying. In addition, I saw an op-ed, and I have not confirmed this, but there's an op-ed that claims that virtually all private schools are going to be exempt. If you look at the exemptions, it'll work for basically all private schools. I don't know if that's because of the accreditation or because of the regions, but other than yeshivas. So again, I haven't confirmed that, but there is a claim that other than yeshivas, every other private school is going to be exempt. And if that's the case, then obviously that would that would render these rules anti-Semitic. So we're going to keep an eye. Obviously, there's going to be challenged. We'll keep an eye on all of this. As I said, if you sold drugs illegally in New York State and you went to prison, then it turns out crime does pay. Crime does pay. Not only were you probably released early, but now you're going to get rewarded. You may get a license to sell marijuana legally. This is ludicrous. New York State Governor Kathy Hochul announced the first permits to sell legalized marijuana are going to go to drug dealers. Um, I mean, people convicted of selling drugs, they're the ones who are going to be allowed to sell drugs legally and make profit. And the official reason is it's about fairness and equality. This is to rectify. This is what Hochul's saying. They, they want to rectify the inequities of a justice system that locked up a disproportionate number of people of color 
for drug crimes. So it's like affirmative action, like on steroids. Yes, the war on drugs, the inequities, the justice system, the war on drugs locked up a disproportionate number of people of color for drug crimes. Well, what percentage of the, the people committing the crimes were people of color? It, 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 that's how it goes. It's not like, well, there's only, I don't know, 16 percent of the population is minorities, but but 50 percent of the population are in, uh, 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 in jail for drug crimes are minorities. That's not how you do it. How, what percentage of the criminals are minorities, not what percentage of the overall population? So they're saying that the victims of the war on drugs, which are the drug dealers, the convicted felons, they should get the first shot at profiting off of marijuana. So they view drug dealers as victims, and this is their co- uh, compensation. I mean, I literally almost have no words to describe this lunacy, but uh, putting all else aside, like these people broke the law. Number one, they're drug dealers. I mean, that, that to me is one of the most evil crimes you can commit. I mean, you're allowing innocent people, young people, teenagers, they target young people and stu- you know teenagers and kids and try to get them hooked on drugs. They're spreading drugs. It's much worse than doing drugs. Possessing drugs is, is, is dealing drugs. And, and, and they were committing crimes. So like they're criminals. I mean, like, and, and this is like, it's not like you're just picking like, it's like affirmative action to begin with makes no sense because you're choosing not based on qualification in any, in any industry, uh, choosing based on qualifications, not on merit. But like, this is like to an extreme, you're literally choosing the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst, the most evil monsters out there. President Biden has released the 20th hijacker from 9-11. One of the, 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 the last, the 20th hijacker, there were 19 hijackers, of course, um, who crashed planes into buildings on 9-11, as we know. But the, there was a 20th hijacker who was apprehended before he had a chance to join them um, back in 2001. So the 20th hijacker has been in Guantanamo Bay all this time, and Biden has released him. He was prevented by authorities from boarding one of the planes. But now Biden is sending him home to Saudi Arabia so he can be treated for mental illness. So it, it, it's it's a, you're releasing the 20th hijacker on the grounds of mental illness. This is so disgraceful. And, of course, the mainstream media buried the story. This is Mohammed Ahmad Al-Qatani. Uh, tried to join the hijackers on Flight 93. Flight 93 only had four hijackers. The other planes had five. Flight 93 had four. Al-Qatani was caught by immigration officials in August of 2001, um, before, uh, obviously, several weeks before September 11th at the Orlando airport, before he could partic- partake in that attack. And Biden administ- the Biden administration somehow has decided that he's no longer a threat. This is the second prisoner released from Guantanamo Bay, by the way. Remember, ba- uh, Obama pledged his first move in office and one of many broken promises by Obama he pledged that the first day his first thing the first move he would make in office would be to close Guantanamo Bay eight years later it was still open why as I always say because Obama got to the White House and he was actually it's easy to say it on the campaign we're going to close Guantanamo but then he's briefed by intel officials who say to him you know there's some really bad people you're going to be releasing these evil terrorists these al-Qaeda terrorists etc from Guantanamo into society and then they're going to commit further acts of terror and then everyone's going to say well, Obama released the person, so that, that's what happens with these politicians. But this this story got virtually no coverage by the mainstream media, of course. We told you that Biden is the reason that U.S. companies are drilling much less oil and natural gas. And the U.S. is now uh, exporting less oil and natural gas, and the U.S. is buying more oil and natural gas from other countries. And that is a big part of the, the reason for inflation and why gas prices are so high. So there's some Democrats that are claiming well, it's the private sector. This is not Biden's fault. The, the the oil drilling is done by the private sector, so they're the ones to decide. What does it have to do with Biden? 
And that is a myth. That is not accurate. I want to explain. Yes, it's true that the private sector obviously are the ones who do the oil drilling. But Biden policies have been directly responsible. Biden policies have discouraged oil companies from drilling for oil and gas, natural gas companies. And that's a big part of why we're buying from other countries and why inflation is out of control and gas prices are out of control. So now the simplest response is that the president always gets the credit or the blame when it comes to inflation, when it comes to the economy and specifically oil prices and inflation. Decades and decades, the president, if things are going good, the president gets the credit. If things are going bad, the president gets the blame, even if it's not directly tied to his policies, which in this case it is, as I'll explain. But like Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, Obama, when oil prices, gas prices were low, the president gets the credit. His policies are doing the job. That's how it works. I mean, uh, if, you, if you're the manager of a baseball team, if you're the manager of a restaurant, right, and things are booming, things are going really well, right, the manager gets the credit. The manager's not getting fired. The manager's getting a, probably a bonus. If things are going well, even if it's not directly, that, that's how it works. You can't always say, well, you did this move, therefore this happened. Sometimes you can, but often you can't. If you're the manager, it's going well. You get the credit. If you're the manager of a restaurant and business is bad, you may possibly get fired. Well, but it wasn't my fault. It was this reason and that reason. It was circumstances beyond my control. Look, they may decide that, but they have every right to say, listen, we're going to we're going to go with another option. So that's number one. But but in turn, but in this case, it happens to be. And that's how it should be, by the way. You know, if Trump, if, if gas prices were high under Trump, Trump had obviously very strong economic policies until COVID hit and even post-COVID, you know, even after the lockdowns were over. But um, if oil prices were high under Trump, we would have blamed Trump, and rightfully so. Happens to be gas prices were extremely low under Trump. But beyond that, you know, Biden, um, his first week in office, Biden announced no new leases on federal property for oil for oil drilling. No new oil and gas drilling leases being leased out by the federal government. And that was overturned by a judge, but it doesn't matter. The damage was done. So the, the, the first move they made, Biden, pretty much was no new leases for oil drilling and gas drilling. Well, what, what kind of a message do you think that sends? The Biden people are saying, well, there's 9,000 oil leases right now that are not being used. There are 9,000 oil leases that, that, you know, on properties that are actually not being used for drilling. So they're not even using the current leases. How can you blame us for putting an end to leases? But that's not that's totally uh, disingenuous. It's bogus because those companies that have leases, they still need permits just because you lease the, 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 the land and you say, I'm leasing this land for uh, for this for the for, for the sake of drilling oil or for oil or gas. And the government issues that lease doesn't mean and they're saying, well, look at all these leases that are already existing. Yeah, but the government still has to issue a bunch of permits. There's all sorts of hoops you have to go through in order to get permission, even after you already have a lease. And and the Biden administration, it is it is a fact that they have slow walked. They they are not allowing or making it very extremely difficult for those permits to kick in and for companies to obtain the permits to to actually drill. So that's a big part of it. In addition, Biden has increased regulations and fines, or at least is trying to increase fines and regulations on methane emissions that come from oil drilling and from drilling and from and from drilling for natural natural gas and fracking. And they've threatened to to to, to raise those regulations and to basically punish these companies. So what do you think that does? These companies are afraid to drill. Biden is basically saying, 
I'm pandering to Ocasio. I'm pandering, you know, we're going to push forward some sort of Green New Deal. We're pandering to the environmentalists. So we're going to crack down. We're going to make it very difficult and costly for you to drill for oil and natural gas. Same thing, he closed the Keystone Pipeline. So the Biden people are saying, well, the Keystone Pipeline, it probably wouldn't have even been in use as of now because they were still in construction mode, thanks to Obama, who delayed it the first time, by the way. But so they're saying you can't blame the Keystone Pipeline. And, uh, you know, that's not the issue. But that, But that's not true because... What message are you sending? You're, when you do all these moves, and clearly Biden was the anti-oil, anti-fossil fuel, anti-natural gas candidate. So what you're doing is you're sending a message that we're going to make you pay. What do you think these oil companies and gas companies, what do you think, they, how do you think they're going to respond? Well, let me do it anyway and let's see what happens. No, I'm going to go find some other option. I'm going to go do business in some other industry right now. Or I'm going to shut it down in, 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 in terms of American domestic oil drilling or, or gas drilling or fracking because... Biden is going to make it too expensive and too costly, and, and we're not going to make money. We'll possibly even lose money. It's way too risky. So that's very clear that Biden sent that message. In fact, as, as a candidate, remember he said he said he would ban drilling on federal lands. So he literally pledged to do it. So he basically told these companies, listen, your profits are going to be crushed. It's a losing proposition. Wait till a Republican takes over. So Biden is clearly the reason that the oil companies are not drilling and that the U.S. is not exporting nearly as much. I mean, uh, in in 2021, the U.S. exported 24 percent less oil than in the previous year, 24 percent, like a quarter, basically a quarter less. That's a huge, huge decrease. And clearly, clearly it's a direct result of the Biden policies. Congress has passed a one point five trillion dollar spending package. And this actually Republicans actually were on board. This. this is a bipartisan spending package and it includes border funding, border funding. Yes, border funding is included in the $1.5 trillion, but not for the southern border of the U.S. In fact, not for any border of the U.S. There's actually border funding. It's unbelievable. Border funding for eight other countries included in this bill, but not one penny to help secure the southern border, which is a disaster. Um, And the world is falling apart. How do you not miss Trump? I mean, Ukraine, Iran is a mess. North Korea is a mess, as we're going to get to. China wants to attack Taiwan. Afghanistan is a mess directly, directly thanks to Biden. All of these are directly attributable to Biden. And now, as we told you, Biden wants to buy oil from Iran and Venezuela. He'd rather do that than uh, encourage oil companies to drill for more oil at home and lower gas prices. I mean, Iran and Venezuela. By the way, Biden reached out to the Saudis and the UAE and they refused his call. Literally, the Saudis... And the UAE, the Arab Emirates, Biden said, can we speak? The Biden people said, can, can, can Biden have a talk with you guys? And they refused to speak with Biden. I mean, which is a true embarrassment. This is a bombshell. They, Biden wanted to discuss support for Ukraine and he wanted to discuss how they could lower oil prices. But the Saudis and, uh, you know, King Salomon, MBS, they and the UAE, they're furious with Biden about how he's how he's propping up Iran and about his allowance of the Houthi rebels to shoot missiles at their countries. And, and, and Biden has not responded. Meanwhile, Iran has fired. And, and the, uh, the Iran deal we're going to have to get into here uh, in the coming weeks. But they're close to a deal. And it seems, according to reports, that this deal is going to be a nightmare, worse than the Obama nuclear deal, which was bad. Iran has fired six missiles at a U.S. consulate in Iraq. So that's their response. Unbelievable. Biden bending over backward, begging Iran for a deal, making all sorts of concessions. And how do they respond? I mean, it's like they're laughing at us. They fired six missiles toward the U.S. consulate in Iraq. Um, That happened this weekend. 
But let's keep begging them to sign a nuclear deal, which is a disastrous deal. I mean, three Biden, three negotiators on the Biden team quit the negotiations in protest because Biden and Rob Malley, the chief negotiator, is being way too soft on Iran. I mean, you're talking about tons of concessions, including sanctions being lifted off of dozens of Iranian terror groups and terror leaders. You're talking weaker restrictions on Iran's nuclear program than before. It was already weak. And you're talking about billions of dollars in cash payments, once again, to bribe Iran. I mean, so this deal could be a total disaster. We will keep an eye on that. North Korea is ratcheting up its nuclear testing. I mean, remember North Korea, Kim Jong-un. Again, it wasn't great under Trump, but it was far, far better. Kim Jong-un and Trump had this relationship. They had this communication. They had this meeting. And uh, Kim Jong-un agreed to a self-imposed moratorium on nuclear testing. And, and and it's true. You know, he severely, severely, he basically stopped. He, he, he suspended nuclear testing and maybe even suspended part of his nuclear program, but but certainly suspended nuclear testing and missile launches for years under Trump. He, he, he mostly stuck with it, which people were shocked. Now experts say that he is planning to test launch Kim Jong-un, a monster missile, a monster missile. This is an ICBM that can carry multiple warheads, a very dangerous, they're calling it a monster missile. And uh, experts say he's already been testing parts of it. They disguise it as a satellite. He's not testing. He's not launching satellites. When he does, when he launches satellites, North Korea, they are really launching these missile parts to, to test them out. But they disguise it as a satellite. So North Korea this year has already conducted a record of nine weapons tests. That's not including the satellite test. They've 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 overtly, outwardly conducted nine weapons test this year. So that is more probably than under Trump, the, the entire four years under Trump, I'm guessing. But it's certainly a, a, a very, very massive increase. And experts now say that North Korea's self-imposed moratorium on nuclear testing and on missile launching is over. And of course, that that is like everything else, thanks to the weakness uh, of President Biden. That's going to do it for today. And we will see you next time.